Hey team, it's Matt Drinkon here. And you might have heard, my brand new book releases on Amazon on March 8th. It's been a labor of love that I think can really help you navigate some of the challenges you're experiencing in your own life. I go over toxic positivity and how to think you're in it for everyone else. In reality, you're in it for yourself. And I express that through this entire book and help learn from our own mistakes and how to turn the lens on ourselves and ask good questions. So go to Amazon on March 8th and you can get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. That's it for me. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Eternal Optimist Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Drinkon, and today we have a very special guest coming to us from Florida, Miss Jenny Alday Townsend, or Jenny Townsend. Jenny, how are you today? I'm great, Matt. Excited to be here and share some experience and real life lessons. Heck yeah, baby. Heck yeah. So tell me for a second, when you say you're great today, what does that mean? What does it mean when Jenny says she's great? Unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So first of all, I woke up next to my husband, who I love dearly, and I'm able to do whatever I love. This morning, I watched the sunrise, which I do most mornings, kind of clear my head, take a couple deep breaths and just take in the beautiful scenery. And then I go from there. It gets a little bit stressful. But for the end of the day, I'm just grateful to be alive and do what I love every single day. And I'm just passionate and grateful for the life I get to live. Man, I love the way you said that. The life I get to live. Man, what an attitude of gratitude. I think we're going to get along very well today. So I wanted to butter you up with a, with a nice soft question because we're going to go deep down the more challenging route immediately. And I appreciate your transparency and be able to share some of these challenges because every successful person knows that it's not because we got lucky. It's not because everything is just easy for us. It's because we learned how to overcome hard stuff. And Jenny's got an ample amount of hard stuff that uh, we can cover today. So Jenny, if we could start with something challenging, can you talk a little bit about when you were successful in your career, you had a six-figure job, and then you decided to stop doing that, do something else. Take us back to that story when you launched your company. Okay, perfect. Well, I'll start when I was doing real estate and I was super successful doing that and the market crashed and I had a mortgage to pay. And um, fortunately, I couldn't get another job doing anything because I only had an associate's degree. So I had to go back to school and get my bachelor's. And during that time of going to college, I actually took student loans to continue paying my mortgage because I didn't want to short sale my house at that point. So I did rentyourroom.com. So I started renting the rooms in my house to random strangers to assist me with paying my mortgage for a time period, which was super, super scary and stressful to have complete strangers living in your house. But anyways, so I did that for a period of time. And then while I was going to college to get my bachelor's, which I had to pay for myself, I developed a business plan utilizing an after-school program model. So I was inspired to do that model because when I was working for my dad cleaning windows in my high school and college years, I met a young lady. She was 27, super successful. And I said, what do you do? She goes, I own a cheerleading school. So I knew at that point I was going to do something that had to deal with children. However, I had no clue what it was going to be until I started developing the music compound, which is a music school for all ages, any level. And prior to starting that, I did have a corporate gig 
for several years, which allowed me to travel the country, do my market research, and start saving some money so that I could eventually quit my job. I didn't have the guts to quit my job until I had a board chair basically treat me like complete scum because I cared about fundraising and she cared about linens. So, you know, board members, when you work for a nonprofit, they think they're better than everybody because they have deep pockets and they forget how to treat the people that are working hard to make the organization actually happen. So after she treated me like scum, I called my husband. I said, I cannot be treated like this. I am better than this. I deserve better than this. And he said, you should start that music school you talked about on our first date. And so I developed an exit strategy and quit my six-figure job and peaced out. And yeah, I took a year off so I could plan and get funding and before I actually started it. Wow. Two things I want to kind of dive into. One of them is you said that your husband reminded you on your first date, you talked about this music school idea. Can you take us back uh, that first date with the man who would become your husband? How did that first date end up happening? I'm just out of curiosity, the origin story here. Yeah, well, we played kickball together. And we were both (laughs) dating other people. And we had asked somebody about each other. And she said, oh, she's a heartbreaker. She'll break your heart. Don't You don't want to date her. And she told me that he thought I was loud, obnoxious, and la-di-da-da-da. So anyways, long story short, he ended up asking for my phone number one night. And so I called my fiance at that hour. And I said, hey, I found the guy I'm going to actually marry. I'm going to go out with him on Sunday. And so... We went on a date that following Sunday, and then that's when I told him about the music school and what my dreams were. Wow. Wow. So you already had this dream in the back of the mind, and you said the word treated like scum. I don't hear that word scum very often. That must have been a really scummy feeling. It's a word that brings up a lot of negative thought to me, being treated that way. So you had enough, and now it's time to go and start this business. So what was that like when you made that first commitment? You said there was some time period to secure funding. What was that first launch period like for you, Jenny, and your new... Was he still a boyfriend at the time, or was he by then a fiancé? Um, yeah, I think we I think we might have been engaged at that point. Or no, we might have been actually married when I just... Yeah, I, we were married. We got married in 2013. I told him in 2009 about the plan. 2013, we were married, and I quit my job in January of 2015. And then I started my company in January of 2016. So that feeling, I was a workaholic. I love to work. I've always worked my passion. I've always worked with people. I'm a people person. So within the first couple of months, I was super, super bored. I didn't know what to do. So I actually started another company and started consulting with nonprofits. Number one, so I could generate a little bit of revenue. And secondly, so I could start building the contacts in the community. A lot of my jobs, corporate experience, even working for that nonprofit was a lot of national contacts. So nothing really, really local. So that time period that I was able to take time off of work and start another company, I was able to make some really great contacts. And I started working with a mentor through Minnesota Score, which is retired CEOs. And I met with him every single week at Panera Bread. And we started working together in July. And I said, I'm going to open this in January. He goes, "Um, that's probably not going to happen. You're a little crazy, but let's try. And I made it happen. Wow. Wow. So the music compound, this is Sarasota, Florida, music compound. Correct. Okay. I have one in Sarasota and I have one in Manatee. So I have two locations. 
over 500 members. We have 42 employees. And we've been recognized as Small Business of the Year, Minority-Owned Business, Women-Owned Business. I've been named Entrepreneur of the Year as well. So we've gotten a lot of recognition for the work that we do. Not only do we provide music lessons, but we provide a lot of life skills and a lot of support to the local nonprofits and community partners. Oh, what a great story. Why music of all things? What's the uh, attraction to to music as the after school, as the the business? Yeah. So when the market tanked and I was selling real estate, I had to go and start waiting tables for the first time in my life. And I worked at a dive bar called the Packing House Cafe. And a lot of musicians hung out there. And then I worked with other musicians at another restaurant concept. And they all wanted a place to jam and connect and have performances. And so the business idea started out as a warehouse for musicians. But then obviously when I got into the budgeting, there was nobody. They did not want to pay for space. So that's when I flipped the switch. And I said, okay, people always invest in their children. Let's switch it. And so that's why I created the after-school program, which is membership-based, which has been super successful. So I hire musicians. I connect musicians. I support musicians. And I started it for them. But unfortunately, it's membership-based for families primarily. Yeah, understood. Understood. Okay, good. Good. So what was that like on your marriage, running a business full-time, starting from scratch. Talk about how that impacted you and your husband and what happened there. I would not grow up as one of those young girls that just couldn't wait to get married. I grew up wanting to work and own a business and be an entrepreneur. So, I mean, I got married. I mean, I love my husband. I don't know if I would have said no when he asked me yes. So we got married and we were super, super happy. And I was somewhat of a wife when we got married. Um, I'm not your typical housewife, you know. When we got married, the little bit of time I did stay home when I started the company was like little to none. I took a $120,000 loan to start my company. There was no backup plan. There was no plan B. I had to be successful. I had to pay these mortgages. I had to carry this debt. When you have to cover payroll and you take ownership of so much, that's the only thing that really mattered. And it's the only thing that mattered to me. My company became my world, it became my baby, it became my life. I was basically a roommate with my husband. And if it came to doing work or hanging out with family, I always chose my company and always chose to work. So it was not a very good formula for a successful marriage. I think this is very relatable. A lot of entrepreneurs feel this. I've felt this way a number of times. So I I think it's relatable. Thank you for bringing us this far. So talk about what happened next. Yeah. So I started my company and, you know, when you start a company and I'm not a musician, I'm not an educator. I have no clue what I'm even doing. I didn't buy a franchise. I created this entire concept. So I was just making up the rules as I was going. If it was like going to go in this direction, let's go. If Let's go back to this direction. So I had a business plan, but as you know, nothing goes according to plan. Through a lot of hardship and through a lot of struggles within the organization of hiring and firing people and obviously trying to get the revenue, I just never went home as well. When you're married, obviously you need to be home and you need to take care of your husband. And my mother kept saying to me, take care of your husband, take care of your husband. And the writing was on the wall. Everybody could see what was happening. I was in denial and I just basically avoided my marriage by staying at work. And ultimately um, in 2018, I discovered my husband was having an affair with a coworker, which I speculated for years, but I just didn't really care, I guess. I was just so obsessed and my company was so rewarding and so fulfilling that I didn't feel the void. 
of my husband or my marriage. So my marriage fell apart. Then a lot of other things happened from there. So it was it was heartbreaking and it's been you know, a journey ever since that discovery, but we are still happily married. I was able to find forgiveness, but a lot of positive things happened because of this as well. Yeah. I'm really curious about that part because it feels like you didn't have time or make time for it because your work was your baby. And a lot of us can relate to that. And then marital challenges. And then the next thing I just hear you say is that we work through it and I'm happily married today. How do you go from that spot in 2018 where you're married to the business? He's having an affair and you're kind of two ships passing a night. How do you go from there to happily married? And I know we've only got like a little bit of time, like half an hour or more, but this is the big question because how do you do that? I'm going to tell you the two wins. First of all, it was very hard. I do not want to downplay that I cried a lot. I lost a lot of sleep. I lost a lot of weight. I ended up with shingles because I was just basically pushing everything down. I didn't really want to deal with it. And I didn't really want to deal with reality. So I became so, so sick. And very thin. And I kept going to doctors. I went to infectious disease doctor, went to allergy associates. I went everywhere I possibly could to kind of figure out what was happening with my health. And I finally went to an acupuncturist. Basically, it was my mind. She did a lot of treatments on me. I started journaling. I started doing meditation. I started working on myself. So much time I spent building the company, I forgot about me. Yeah, I was fulfilled with work, but I didn't know me the way that I know myself now. There was a lot of therapy. You know, it took two to three years actually for me to even find forgiveness for my husband. You deal with the triggers, you deal with the hate, you deal with the anger, you deal with a lot of emotions. And without the guidance of my acupuncturist and a few of my close friends, I wouldn't have been able to make it through that. Plus, my husband, it wasn't his character. He did not want to cheat on me. He did not want to break our marriage. It's not his personality. He was lonely. He was depressed. He was in a job that he hated. And I'm living my dream. I'm going to work every day working for free. And he's going to work every day trying to make money to pay for me to go work for free. So that financial stress, and there's all these components that were basically happening. And both of us loved each other. So once it happened, I took ownership, he took ownership. That was the first and foremost. So nothing would have been able to move on if I didn't take ownership and he didn't either. And us realize we still want to be married which, listen, we sold our house in 2019 and then COVID happened in 2020. We are still renting. We cannot afford to buy a house. So like, there are so many things that are still impacting our lives because of this in the past. Believe me, it's still hard. I don't want to downplay it by any means, but because we took ownership and because we focused on the love, we were able to overcome and find a way to make our marriage work. So that's one thing. (laughs) Can I tell you one more thing? Please, I'm glued. Please. (laughs) So not only was I able to find out self-care and take ownership and understand what the priorities are and what we needed to do to make our marriage work. So it's successful long-term. I actually hired a gentleman a month prior to this happening, which when I hired him, I didn't even know what he was going to do. But he was passionate about my company. He really wanted to work for me. And I said, you know, Tom, we'll figure out a position for you. Just come on board. That was the first week of January of 2018. February 8th of 2018 is when I discovered my husband was having an affair. So one month after I hired this man, I don't know what I'm hiring for. He took ownership of my company and took my company from old school to new school. He digitalized everything. He created a website. He created automations with a CRM. He just took my company to a whole new level. 
that wouldn't have happened if I was there. I would have been micromanaging him. I would have been stuck in my old school mentality. I would have been preventing the company from going to the next level. And the following year after that, my company was the most successful it has ever been. And I was able to add myself to payroll, which I wasn't on payroll prior to my debacle. So I'm grateful for the way that all of it played out. Absolutely. There are so many nuggets full of wisdom. I'm going to recap a couple of them here for our listeners. I know that they're listening and they're very astute. Just this idea of working on yourself and this recurring theme of either a journaling or a meditation or working on yourself and just being aware, self-aware. That is a recurring theme of people who metamorphosize and, and take ownership, as you say. I love that you said that. That's one. I'd say number two, you just said it, the old school mentality to what I would call the evolution of the entrepreneur to to owner, to true owner of a company is when you started to hire for leadership and hire for levels in your company. So kudos to you for figuring those things out in the midst of COVID, in the midst of a marriage failure at that time. And through all of this, you still maintain an attitude of gratitude and figured out a way to come through happy and happily married. So just golly, Jenny, wow. Well, thank you. Thank you. I will say that obstacles, I always see them as opportunities. And my husband, even when we were going through stuff, there was times I was still living in the past because I would get upset about something. He's like, focus on today. I love you. We are together. We are building a life together. Focus on today. And at times that's really hard, especially when you've been betrayed, you've been hurt, or someone has crushed your dreams. Like you, Matt, I'm a businesswoman. I have a 135. I have a 3510 for my personal and professional life. He screwed up all those plans. I was supposed to have multiple locations by now. In a way, it's like I can sit here and I can be really pissed at him. Or I can embrace the fact that I have work-life balance now. I have time for myself. I have time for hobbies. I'm okay sleeping in on a Saturday or Sunday and laying in bed. And prior to this, or if this didn't happen, I would still be working seven days a week, 80 hours, 90 hours a day with little pay maybe, little return on investment, little personal life. So. It's challenging, but at the end of the day, there's always opportunities in the obstacles that we face. And that's my mindset. And so much to admire there. I, I feel you've shared all these challenges and then you've come back to challenges are opportunities and the recurring theme of gratitude and taking ownership of whatever it is you are in your life right now. I feel like these are recurring themes of an eternal optimist. And they're certainly recurring themes of very successful people. I don't know if the audience really captured the idea of 40 plus employees, 500 members, multiple locations. I mean, Jenny runs a large organization and it wasn't easy. And she makes it look graceful and easy now. It wasn't. (laughs) Yes. And that's the thing is I want to go back to maybe a little bit of the ugly part too, because When you are growing your company and you are obsessed with it and that's all you're talking about, no one wants to talk to you. They don't even want to ask you how you are because you're going to open up a whole can of worms. You're going to talk for 20 minutes about everything that's going on in your life and how much you love your business. And I had friends say, I don't want to talk about your company more. Do you ever stop talking about your company? Or you're always selling or you're always sharing your stories. And it's like, I had to eliminate those people. So I had to eliminate a lot of people as I was building my company. And then when my marriage failed and I had to step out of my company, I had a very small group of individuals surrounding me because I gave up on everybody. I didn't spend time with everybody. And 
that's another really, really hard challenge and feeling lonely. And then here you spent all this time building this company and then your marriage falls apart. That's really hard. And I had a lot of people being like, well, what did you think was going to happen? That's hard. Because at the end of the day, like I was growing a company for the both of us and for our future. Someone else lost sight of the plan, the long-term goal. There was buy-in, but not fully buy-in. I mean, he allowed me to quit my company, supported me to do it, but then resented it and hated it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing that really resonates with me, what you're sharing is that in the pain of all of this, there are the critics that come out when things are challenging and say, told you so, or say, why did you think about this? As if the person who's not running the company has any idea, you know, what is going on in that company. It's strange to me because everyone has an opinion when you're struggling and everyone wants to provide guidance and everyone is a critic. And when you're very successful, it's interesting because those same critics you don't hear from anymore. They don't want to ask how you got there or what you're doing. And this is the time that you're actually most capable of serving and helping people is to share some of the secrets and the recipe. And I think we may have actually chatted about this for a while because this is the kind of double-edged sword of being successful running companies is that once you're there, you want to help people, you want to share, but people just don't ask anymore. It's so weird. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's interesting now too, because it's like, I went through this stage of like really struggling to build the company. And then the company was at a point and then my marriage then failed. So I went down and then it's like, I've got my company came back up and I won actually most of my awards when I was going through the debacle with my husband for the success of my company. And yeah. then, so then I get my marriage back and my company is super successful. And then you still have the people that want not to be haters because I don't want to call them haters that are just disinterested in the journey, disinterested in the roller coaster and very much they assume so many things and they assume that everything came by really easy. And then they assume that not everything's real. So like, there's some people that still don't believe that my husband and I are madly in love. How could that be? Because we got back to the basics, because we love each other. We finally made each other a priority. It's easier to just rebuild what you have with someone else than go find somebody different. It's very interesting. I'm very proud of the accomplishments. I'm very proud. I want to help other people. But you know, the lack of people actually interested or caring used to bother me. And now I'm like, oh, well, I'll find people that want to have conversations with me. Yeah. It's like when you stop caring so much about the opinions of others and you just want to pour into people and help, it's interesting what happens because now you attract a different kind of energy. And now, although the old critics aren't coming and asking for feedback or advice or wanting to talk about it, there are so many other people that want to learn and want to learn how you did it. And those people are listening to the show right now. So I appreciate that you're sharing this incredibly challenging period. And through all of this, you have now emerged, and maybe I'm going to be a little allegorical, you have emerged as this mythical phoenix figure who's come out stronger, better, and more in love than when you went into this forge of fire. So it's pretty exciting to see that. And I'm meeting you now in the last six months in this space that you're in, and it's just a real treat. And I'd love to share with the audience, Jenny, what is it that is inspiring you and it's driving you forward now? that we might be able to share with our audience today? I just love life. And I have taken ownership of creating the best life. I'm creating the life I want to live and I'm enjoying the life I'm creating. For so many years, I worked so hard to create the life to live it later. I have a really nice balance between work 
and my personal life. And I am really nicely balanced as far as the amount of effort I put into things and the return that I get as well. Not to mention, I am just grateful of all experiences and looking forward to an amazing future. So when I sit back and I think of the journey, the heartaches, the pain, and the mistakes, I mean, gosh, when I was starting my company, I made so many mistakes. Signed leases, didn't get them in writing, paying double rent. I mean, it was just a mess and a half. I want to help people so that they don't make the same mistakes. They take ownership of their life. They make their marriage a priority. So many of us enter a marriage and we don't keep it as priority. We take it for granted. We take that person for granted. We expect that person to be somebody they're not. We want to change that person. And we don't actually focus on how they are contributing to our life. We only focus on the problems they give us. And so when I started thinking about how my husband is adding value and contributing to my life and all the things I'm contributing to him and all the things I can learn from my husband, my husband is in finance, very frugal, very, very, very conservative when it comes to money. I'm the opposite. And here we are coming up on a recession. I just got a phone call from my landlord. He's selling my building, which is going to be a huge obstacle for me in the next six to 12 months. Luckily, my husband has taught me to save money. And I wanted to buy a new car a couple months ago. I'm successful. I can do this. I deserve it. Thank God I didn't buy the car. Thank God I didn't go buy all the things I wanted to buy and I saved my money. I would say that that's another thing that I want to help people do is, you know, be high on life, but don't think that you need to buy all the materialistic things to boost the ego, to fund the ego and all that, because you just never know where where life is going to take you. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to have my own company and be independent, financially independent, but some people are not. When you think of ending or mending a marriage, those are variables as well. So, but I just want to help people. Mm. You mentioned making marriage a priority, and I think that this is something you're really good at now. What is it that you might do to make your marriage a priority now, Jenny? Well, first and foremost, I listen to my husband, and I'm present. Well, he will say I don't listen very well, but I am definitely a much better listener than I was before. Progress, yes. (laughs) Yes. I would say being present is something that was not a priority of mine. I would be home with my husband, but I wasn't actually with him. We would be on the couch I would be on one side on my phone doing social media and he would be watching TV. So even though we were on the couch, we weren't really together. I learned about the love language when we were going through this debacle. And for years, I thought his love language was like gifts or acts of service. I'm like making him lunches. I'm making him smoothies every day. I'm sending him out the door like with his lunchbox, like his mom. He wanted me to be in the gym spending quality time with him. When I was on the couch, he wanted me spending quality time with him. I've had to stop thinking that I'm the only thing happening in this world and know that I'm sharing my life with someone else. Understanding what his needs are and wants and his goals and dreams and being supportive of him. It's not just all about me. And sometimes that's what we think. I love the way you framed it. You've made progress over time. You're a better listener now than you've ever been. You're intentionally listening to him more. You're present more. Rather than giving a lot of gifts of service, you're now, instead, you are more present to the idea of quality time. What that shows me is that you're able to learn. You're able to be present to what serves your partner the best. So those are great things to hear. He's an introvert. I'm an extrovert. So I am go, 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 go. And he likes to be home. So I have had to learn to be home, which is super, super hard. Luckily, COVID happened and I was forced to do it. I have now a new appreciation for being home and being home with him. And it has 
created some really great downtime for myself to where I can work on my writing. I can work on podcasting. I can just lay in bed and not feel guilty. I can make dinners or make breakfast and actually be more like, I don't want to say a housewife, but like more of a homebody and caring and loving. So I think understanding to the personality differences is huge. I want to add to that though. One of the biggest things that I navigated when we were going through this is reviewing and thinking about his upbringing versus my upbringing the quality of love with our parents. When I was being brought up, my parents worked really hard. They were entrepreneurs. They didn't necessarily say, I love you. They didn't snuggle with us. They didn't huddle. They didn't kiss us. They didn't read us bedtime stories. It was time to go to bed. You went to bed. Their form of love was a roof over our head, food on the table, and opportunity. My husband grew up where his family was very, very affectionate. Both of his parents grew up without fathers. So they wanted to make sure their kids always felt loved. And that was shared through cuddling, reading books, being present, giving a type of affection and things like that as well. So the way that we grew up accepting and sharing love was completely different. So that's another thing that we had to learn and navigate when working on our marriage. So that's been a huge game changer. Like looking back in the past and reviewing how we were both brought up has been just amazing for us to learn from. Yeah, you're hitting me here. Uh, I'm feeling this very, literally feeling it right now because my wife and I grew up different in the way that we were loved or just our experience in life. So thank you for bringing that to the forefront. I wonder if you could tell us, is there a way that if someone is listening to this, they're hearing this story and they're resonating deeply that they either have a real challenge in communication in their marriage or they are trying to run a business and live a thriving home life as well. If someone wanted to reach out to you and learn more or connect more or just be in your presence, because <laughs> I've already learned so much, how would someone connect with you, Jenny, and find out more? I would recommend everyone go to my website or they can follow me on social media. My website is Jenny All Day with one L. Townsend.com. I'm also on social media. So Instagram is Jenny, I-N-S-R-Q, because I live in Sarasota, Florida. And then also I have the Stroke It Guide, which the Stroke It Guide is all about communication, relationships, and I can go a little bit more into that. But that is the new passion, the new love. And the Stroke It Guide just basically helps people with relationships personally and professionally, because there's so many times we all think of those lives as separate. But we're the same person living those lives. Some people are saying, oh, balance isn't possible. You can't have, you know, super successful professional life and personal life. And believe me, I was there. My personal life, my company was soaring as my marriage was tanking. I mean, it's just amazing how different they were. But there is a way to have them going together. Your personal and professional life can row in the same boat together to a beautiful place. Wow. Well, so you've intrigued me here. You call it the stroke it guide. When I hear the word stroke it, I think when I was in college dancing to Clarence Carter, Clarence Carter, you'd be stroking. So I'm curious, where did that name come up from? And tell us a little bit more about the stroke it guide, please. Well, if you remember earlier in this segment that my husband was having an affair with another person, she was basically stroking him. His emotional, physical, and mental side of him. And so when we were going through therapy, we were talking about the feelings and how he was feeling neglected and how she made him feel good and how she acknowledged him and how she was present and how she validated him. And I'm like, yeah, you were her boss. Of course, she had to do all those things. 
But in reality, it was the nature of what was happening. When I thought about our relationship and I thought about their relationship, I was like, I didn't stroke you. And I don't mean just physically. I mean emotionally and mentally. That is really the basis of my new passion project, you can call it, is how to validate the individuals in your life and show appreciation. And number one, that starts with you. So I speak a lot about self-care, a lot of self-stroking, a lot of boosting your own ego, a lot of time management, auditing your time and making you number one so that you have enough energy to give to others. And then I talk a lot about spouses. And since I'm an employer, I talk about how to stroke your employees. If you are an employee, you learn how to stroke your employer. And that means showing up on time. I don't mean physically stroking your employer. I mean, showing up on time, being a great team player, being coachable, coming to the table with fresh ideas, being bought into the mission and to the vision and adding value. And then I talk about friends and family. And of course, since it's called the Stroke It podcast and book, we talk a little bit about the bedroom, which is important. It's tons of fun. Fantastic. You hit on so many concepts right there. One that is... I would say amongst the most important that many people ignore is the idea of making yourself number one. And can you elaborate a little bit more? What do you mean by making yourself number one and more on that? Well, I feel number one, it's just how you feel about yourself. There's a lot of negative chatter and a lot of negativity. And whether we've been bullied or someone has told us that we can't do anything, for example, I'm sure many of the listeners today are in a career or doing something they don't like. They did it because their parents said, you have to do that if you want to make a good living and you want to make money. Many people wanted to be artists. They wanted to be musicians. Maybe they wanted to fly kites or go fly planes, but they were told they couldn't do it from a very, very young age. So they never followed their passion. And basically, they are living somebody else's life, not their own. So I really dive into creating the life that you want to live And making that your priority so that you're passionate and you're happy because you're the only person that can make yourself happy. So I tell people, stop blaming others, acknowledge yourself, acknowledge, take ownership, accept the facts, avoid negativity, whether that's negative chatter or negative people. Believe me, I had to cut out a lot of friends and family. I had to cut my mom out of my life for a period of time because of the negative energy. It's a lot of self-care. It's a lot of mindset. And it's a lot of digging deep and accepting some things that maybe you don't like about yourself that you can't change. Like, wait, some people are like, I want to be, like I get people, I'm 5'1", I'm like 115 pounds. People are like, I want to be skinny like you. I'm like, I'm just short. My parents are skinny. My parents are small, you know, and they're just bigger boned. You're not going to have more body. I'm sorry. They have to accept their body. They have to accept who they are and find things that they love. Like when I was younger, you can't tell, but my nose was really big. My brother and my friends used to call me Big Bird. I had to grow into my nose, which was super, super hard. (laughs) I used to hate pictures being taken of myself. Now I post too many pictures for my family. Once again, eliminate the negativity, focus on the positive, take ownership of your life so that you can be happy for others. So much of the jealousy and so much of the haters, they're just dragging you down. So eliminate them so that you can do you because you're the only person that's going to do you. Man, this is amazing. And I'm about to go on a rant for a second here about what you just said. I loved it. Please. You said grow into your nose. You're talking to someone who's always had a big nose. My dad had a huge nose. And I am with you on the nose. Totally happy with my nose now. Okay. So 
I'm also shocked that you said you're 5'1", because your camera makes you look like you're about six foot tall. That's something else. So let's go where I really wanted to go. In the beginning of our conversation, you had shared that one of the things now that you have been able to figure out is a good work-life balance. I know that from the very beginning, you were talking about running your business and working 90 hours a week, being married to the job, and then under all the things that you had to undergo and, and the challenges. Now to get through on the other side of it, even that old school mentality of running a business, doing it all yourself to leveraging others and, and letting them play to their strengths. You covered so many things in a short period of time that have, that have put you through the, the grinder to good work-life balance. This is to share with everyone else out there that no matter where you're at right now, if you're on the side of that, that you don't have work-life balance, did you just hear Jenny's story? It's possible to do it. If you can overcome the stuff that she had to overcome, she started by looking at herself and taking ownership of herself and working on her own game. Anything is possible. She did it and we can all do it. So what is that now? What does work-life balance mean to you now? (laughs) So I want to tell you that I do me first. I do me from the very beginning. So I have a calendar and a lot of my team members actually use this now too, where we actually time block all of our time, five days a week, sometimes six days a week. So every single morning there's blocks of me time. So that's me getting up, watching the sunrise, meditating, working out, playing tennis, cuddling with my husband, going to breakfast with a friend. I do everything that serves me and my mental health first and foremost. Some mornings I start at five, some mornings I start at six, some mornings I don't start until seven. I own my own company, so I can start working 11, 12 o'clock or 10 a.m. And I play tennis three days a week. I have developed a structure of me first and then I do work. So like everyone's like work hard, play hard. I play hard first and then I work hard. Then I structure my time based on the company needs, based on my stroke it needs, based on whatever my revenue goals are and catering a different time frame to those. So there's some nights I work till four, sometimes it's five, sometimes it's six. So I have budgeted my time. But once again, this is because I own my own company and I've been able to do this where I spend 50% of my time doing me and 50% of my time working. Now, that does change in different seasons. Like, for instance, like I had to drop back into my company, so I've been working a little bit more, but that means I just have to get up earlier to take care of me, or I do me later in the day, but I try to do me first and foremost before anything else. Wow. That's excellent. As you're sharing this, our listeners, I'd invite you to maybe jot this thought down of taking, because Jenny just dropped a, a wisdom bomb here, that unless you've done it, it just sounds nice. Does it compute? unless you actually do it. And she starts with herself first. Put your own stuff in first. I love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, So when you're sitting down to do this, uh, you said, I think you said you do it five times a week, five blocks of time for you first. Is that what you meant? Yes. That's during the work week. I mean, on Saturday and Sundays are all me anyways. But during the work week, I block out that time specifically for myself. And sometimes it's one hour. Sometimes it's three hours. It just depends on it. I review my work week either on Friday for the following week or I do it on Sundays where I map out and I review my my schedule. I do like a time audit. Like where do I have to be present? What kind of energy do I need to show up with? And based on the energy required, I know how much time I need to focus on myself prior to getting to that task. Understood. Wow. That's amazing. So thank you for giving us a little tutorial there. Do you do coaching for people who want this type of thing? Because it sounds like you just broke it down in a a way that we can all learn. Yeah, well, I'm going to be 
doing some courses. I call it the refrigerator model. And my refrigerator model is where I take the vision board, (laughs) the vision board for the whole year, and then I break it down to a one pager. And so at the very beginning of every single month, I have what like my MC drivers are. So what are four drivers I need to do for Music Compound this month to get to my end goal for the year? My Stroke It podcast. How many guests, how many downloads do I need to get to my goal for the year? How much time do I need to be spending with family so that everyone feels loved and appreciated and valued? And then I have like my weekly meditations. Basically, on a monthly basis, this is on my refrigerator. I see it every single morning. And then I go through the day and then I check things off. It's amazing. I can accomplish most things on my vision board, sometimes more. Fantastic. I love it. Four drivers a month. You've got the music compound business, your podcast, your family, yourself, and you have monthly focus points for every one of those. And you've achieved a level of work-life balance that is admirable and desirable. So many awesome things. Is there a website? I mean, you may have already mentioned this. Is there a website we can go to check out Music Compound, Stroke at the podcast? Just where can we find out more, Jenny? So everything is located on Jenny All Day with one L, Townsend.com. You can obviously follow me on social media. And if you want to follow Music Compound, if you're interested in music lessons or anything as far as music education, maybe you want to open a franchise, you want to start your own location, you can visit musiccompound.com. Once again, we're on all social media outlets. Awesome. And yeah, Jenny Alday Townsend.com. You can find out about the podcast. You can get the Stroke It Guide there. You can connect with Jenny there. Amazing. This has been uh, amazing. Jenny, this has been a real treat to learn with you today. And thank you for showing up all in. And I just love the way that you show up because I've never been in a Zoom room with you before where you weren't all in. You play with a level of intensity and focus. It's admirable. So thank you for, for sharing that with our team today. Yeah, you're welcome. And if there are any listeners out there that maybe are struggling with a relationship, whether it's an affair, whether it's a bad habit, whether your spouse has a drinking program problem and you're wondering if you should end or mend a marriage, I love helping provide clarity and peace. Whether you decide to end your marriage, you can at least leave that with peace and feeling good about it with no regrets, or I can help you with mending your marriage too. Because I believe that you should always make the marriage work no matter what actually happens. You said it in your vows, so I would love to help people with that as Mm, well. Excellent. Well, Jenny, we've appreciated you. We love you. We thank you. And now we are at the lightning round of questions. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. Here we go. So the name of our show is The Eternal Optimist Podcast. When I say the words eternal optimist, what does that mean to you? Glass full, overflowing. Excellent. Just like the logo, baby. I love it. All right, good. If there is a book or two books that have inspired, impacted, had an impact in your world, what might two books be that impacted you? The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman and The Buddha and the Badass. Whoa. And I think it's by Vishen. Oh, that is a great book. Everybody should read The Buddha and the Badass for sure. Wow. Excellent. I have not heard that one yet. So thank you for adding to the collection. Wonderful. And then last but not least... Is there a song or some type of music that really is your jam that gets you inspired and fills your cup? Oh, yes. Well, I'm a Swifty. So for all the Taylor Swift fans out there, I'm one of them. So I love Taylor Swift and I love Eric Church. He has a song called Record Year that really just connects with me year after year because, you know, you go through ups and downs, but it still ends up being a great year at the end of the year. It's called Record Year by Eric Church. Fantastic. Fantastic. 
Well, Jenny, that's a wrap. You've been amazing. Thanks for taking the time with us today, gracing us with your presence. And check out Jenny at JennyAllDayTownsend.com and the Stroke It podcast. And reach out to Jenny for some coaching on everything we've talked about today. Thanks so much for being here today, Jenny. Rock on.